Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. We are in the fourth and final chapter of Ruth today. We were left at a bit of a cliffhanger last week. Uh, Boaz has gone off to find this this kinsman redeemer who's a close relative than him. Uh, As Naomi says, the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And the question is, who is Ruth going to marry? So... What's going on in this chapter, guys? What formalities are happening in the first 11 verses? Um, Like, how does the writer keep us on the edge of our seats? What's going on here? Because there's quite a lot of, like, taking off shoes and sitting down and stuff. So um, when it says that Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, it's not like he went to some sort of archway and just sat down. The phrase, go up to the gate, is like a, an idiom for um, to go to court because the gates in those days were huge and enormous and they had multiple rooms where people would meet. It's where the kind of um, the official administrative and le- uh, legal and judicial business of the, of the community would have, would have happened. And so by sitting down there, Boas is saying, I'm here to do legal business and you can mock me, but you wouldn't know that if I wasn't here. <laughs> sorry Helen you guys can't see this but we're making faces at her um yeah that's that is helpful though like he's not just going down and sitting at the at some random gate it is an important place um I think the other thing that the thing that struck me in a slightly less geeky way was it's a very public sphere isn't it he's going into the public domain and the contrast is really stark with the sort of late night um darkness shenanigans from last week with when Boaz says leave this matter with me I'm going to settle it what he what he means by that is I'm going to take this into the yeah the daylight into the very public sphere and settle this with the elders of the town and do things the right way and I just think that's the mark of Boaz all the way through isn't it he wants to do things the right way he's completely confident in the way God set up that um Israeli society and it's all about going and following the right procedures to settle the matter. He at this point I guess didn't know that he was gonna get you know we know this story we know he's gonna marry Ruth and it's gonna be happy after. Stop spoiling it! (laughs) But he didn't know that and it must have you know we don't know that he wasn't attracted to Ruth we don't know you know some people make it out to be this big love story some people think it's just him being literally just kind we don't know either way but we 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 want to know what's ha- what happens don't we we know Boaz is a really good man and we know that Naomi and Ruth need this guy um and so what happens when he when he goes and he finds he just happens to find this guy doesn't he this guy happens to be coming along just so happens to be coming along and what happens I think this is a key way that they, the writer builds up the tension, doesn't he? Of, yeah, Mr. So-and-so. It, that, I find that fascinating. There's no name given to the other kinsman redeemer. So we never find out his name, but he just happens to be walking by. And then Boaz starts off by sitting him down, getting the elders around him, and then talks to him about the land that needs redeeming. So it's like the first step in the process, which totally builds the tension because... He was like, oh, great, I'd love some land. Um, I'd be really happy to do that because the benefits to him are really clear. 
And then Boaz comes in with the, oh, and there's Ruth the Moabitess and um, her mother-in-law. And so suddenly the cost-benefit analysis that this guy does doesn't work out so well for him. And he then says, no, I can't do it because it's going to affect my inheritance. So, but the way that that story builds, I think he's really clever because we think, oh, he's going to do it. And then, oh, actually, he doesn't want the women. He just wants the field. Why do you think he doesn't want to marry Ruth? I mean, there could be any number of reasons, couldn't there? I mean, he could potentially already be married. It could be the fact that Boaz very specifically says Ruth the Moabitess. It's the first time he's described her in that way. I thought that was probably quite significant. It's clever um, of Boaz, isn't it? Like he very he really wants to marry her, but he wants to do the right thing. So he's yeah, laying all I, the facts out. Yeah, and I think it's interesting with the le- the law of the leveret because actually the law the leveret only that we talked about last week only actually applies to immediate brothers. So neither this guy nor Boaz are under any obligation to take Ruth on. And so Boaz is effectively appealing to this man's um sense of the spirit of the leveret. He's saying, I'm willing to take this on and operate in a sort of on moral ground. Are you? And this guy mm. is effectively saying no. But I don't, I don't mm. think we can condemn him for that. At no point do we, are we drawn that, you know, the writer doesn't pull us towards condemning him for that in the same way that we're not called to condemn Orpah. You know, it made sense. It was sensible, wasn't it, for Orpah to leave Ruth and Naomi and go back um, to her homeland in the same way with this man here he just says no it's going to spoil my inheritance and actually it may well have done you can imagine can't you that this guy's probably got a wife and land and, and a home already so taking in another woman uh, a barren that woman. might have caused a barren woman might have caused problems in itself and also this so Ruth's first son would have inherited the land that he'd gained from Naomi. So to him, it would just be no benefit at all and all costs. And you can see, you can see, you can understand, can't you, why he made that decision? Yeah. And he says, doesn't he, really clearly in verse eight, it, it, it might impair my own inheritance. So it is a financial thing for him. Isn't that verse six? Sorry, I can't read very well. I need glasses. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty certain you have some glasses. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Thanks, Hermione. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so, what happens next? So, this guy says no, and then as kind of pr- the process should go, what happens after that? I need some geeky help from Helen here on the sandal situation. Um, so. Uh, I have one line on this. The giving of the sandal is basically a representation of the abdication of rights and just says um, it was kind of used in legal context, especially in regards to things like um, redemption and transfer of property. So it's very symbolic. So in like 10 years time, if somebody had come to Boaz and said, that's my land, Boaz could say, no, it's not. And look at this sandal. I have this sandal to prove it. I don't know how that worked, but it did. That's so interesting. So he just would have kept the sandal. I was wondering about that. I guess he wouldn't wear it. He'd probably just put it somewhere safe. Yeah, they kept, apparently they kept it as evidence. It's a bit like we'd take a deed, you know, like a, a mortgage document or a deed document and put it in our filing cabinet, isn't it? They'd have mm. a cabinet of sandals. Sweaty sandal cabinet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was really struck by, in verse 9 and 10, 
where basically Boaz says, yep, I'm taking these guys, I'm taking them on, she's going to be my wife. Um, But at the end of verse 10, to perpetuate the name of the dead. And so it's almost like Boaz is prepared to give his own name away. And if they do have any children, he's giving away his own name and his own power for the sake of Elimelech's family. And I I just thought that was really powerful that he's... Mm -hmm because he knows that's the right thing, because he's so confident, I guess in a way that Boaz knows that God knows his name and he's more concerned about doing the right thing before the Lord than he is about his own financial success or even his own name and passing on any ch- his name to any children because that will also not be his. The first child will be um, Elimelech's family line. Yeah, and that's such a contrast, isn't it, to this guy who we don't know his name, um, who has turned down the land and Ruth. And we, you know, his name has not gone down in history, um, but Boaz's has. And it's ironic, isn't it, that this guy who wanted to cling on to his name um, has lost it, and Boaz, who was ready to give his name, um, but that's gained it. For, isn't that great for us when we're in those difficult situations and we know what the godly thing to do is and the right thing to do? And sometimes that isn't to defend ourselves or defend our name, but that God sees that, doesn't he? And actually, in the way that this book's so full of God's beautiful providences and the way that he works things out in ways that we can't see, it's really encouraged my heart about doing the right thing before God rather than trying to assert myself. Yeah, and mm. I think as as well with that, you know, I, the read the original readers of this letter would have read the my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in verse eleven and gone, but she's been married ten years and not produced a child. What on earth makes you think she's going to produce a child now? You know, God mm. is faithful. Boaz was so sure of God and His promises that he stepped out and took these things on. Mm. And then there's this beautiful bit in 11 and 12, isn't there, where the elders and the people at the gate and then the, the so there's like this, this, these witnesses to what's happening and they proclaim some stuff, don't they, over these guys. What did you make of that bit? So Rachel and Leah, they were the mothers of, the, of Israel, effectively, weren't they? The 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel's, Israel came from these women. So they... To say um, that we, you know, we're asking the Lord for you to be like them, is a uh, is a big a big deal, a real compliment, a real. A, it's a big a real, prayer over a barren woman, isn't it? Huge prayer over barren woman. Between them, they produced quite a few children. Yeah, mm. it's beautiful, isn't it? That at the beginning of the book, you've got you know Ruth and Naomi coming back. Uh, into Israel and there's this these witnesses the whole town comes out to see them and they come out and see what's happened to Naomi and Naomi's proclaiming these things um, about what about the fact that God you know God's God's providence has been against her and now we've got all these witnesses who are proclaiming may you you know may you be blessed may your family be blessed it's, it's like a lovely kind of circle of events isn't it yeah it's beautiful and the whole, empty, you know, they came back empty, didn't they? And that's one of the themes that we've seen again and again all through. And here we see that um, they're praying for fullness, aren't they? They're praying that there'd be a fullness um, from 
um, Ruth's womb. Great. So this whole bit, okay, I calculated these uh, 12 verses are pretty much an eighth of the whole of the book of Ruth. Why do you think he gives so much of his book over to this? I guess redemption's a massive theme of the whole Bible, isn't it? And this is a little snapshot of a redemption that we see in this particular family. But I think it's pointing us forwards, isn't it, to the big redemption that God's working and the way that even this story and these people are going to be woven in to God's redemption story through Jesus. Mm. So I I think we're supposed to see this beautiful working out of God's purposes for these guys, but see that as a little snapshot and picture of the way he does that in our lives too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Great. So, so, so from verse 13 onwards, we've got kind of the, the wrapping up of the story, the conclusion to the story. How does the writer end this story here? It's just lovely, isn't it? How, you know, the last couple of verses, Naomi took the child and lay him on her lap. You know, just that beautiful picture of, you see when Naomi starts and then you see where she ends and you see the fullness in her life, the rescuing of her life effectively. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name and and the way that it says they named him Obed and then that like killer line for the original readers, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And the, the original readers would have been like, oh, wow, you know, I think we- This just, is where King David came from. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in verse 17. And, and then, yeah. And then it goes, it sort of reiterates, doesn't he? Now this is the generations of Perez and he goes through at the end, but this last section would have been gargantuous for the people who were originally reading it because this is where they come from this is their people this is how God rescued their line the line of David and this is how Jesus's family was rescued Mm. and it's it is a beautiful fulfillment isn't it of the emptiness and fullness theme that we've seen all the way through because you know we we commend Ruth because she went out she worked hard she brought home grain for her mother-in-law but here we just see God's blessing don't we because she doesn't bring grain out of her apron she brings a baby out of her womb and that is the fullness that God blesses Naomi with um yeah it's beautiful isn't it I just think it's so lovely how you can look back over this book and just see how God was working everything out but even as you look forward you know just little tiny things that amazed me like this story is the reason why when Jesus was like just when um, Jesus was in Mary's womb they had to go back to Bethlehem because of this moment Bethlehem was their home because that's where Boaz and Ruth got married isn't that amazing I just I just loved it I just thought it was such a great little image of how all things are under God's control even past present and future was lovely for me and I, I I listened to something yesterday which was really helpful about you know it, it's still true isn't it that Naomi's lost her husband and two of her sons and that's painful and that would still be painful for her even though she's got this beautiful baby that it says in verse 15 doesn't it will be a nourisher of her in her old age and a restorer of life so those things are true but almost there's still the pain in her life, isn't there, of what she's lost. But actually, like you were saying, Helen, 
when you look beyond her life, God's doing such a big and beautiful thing through that pain that's a blessing to the whole world. And again, I find that really encouraging when there's hard providences in our life. We can't lose sight of God's good purpose, can we, in them? And that, mm. that might be painful to us and cause us um, a dif- difficulty and emotional hard things. But even in our hardest situations, God's at work for good, isn't he? And he's doing things that are going to bless future generations and doing things that we couldn't imagine because our minds are so small. So I just thought this is a beautiful picture of that, isn't it? Her pain is real, but God's doing beautiful, amazing things for the future of the whole world. And she's blessed, isn't she? Because she gets to see a very tangible blessing from God. But sometimes people go through pain and then they don't see an end to that pain in this earthly life. They wait and they wait. And then, but actually the the hope, the ultimate hope for us and for Naomi and Boaz and Ruth is heaven, isn't it? There is going to be this place uh, where we will be completely full, um, full of uh, happiness and joy and just have our arms full of, of Jesus. I, I love, I love that, 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 here we get to see this kind of circular, beautiful thing. Um, but yeah, you're right. In that, Naomi still has suffered very real loss. And people do suffer very real loss um, that, that isn't resolved sometimes on this earth. But we know that one day, and our hope is that one day um, we will be with God and all of our losses will, will make sense. Um, yeah, because be there's, there's a purpose, isn't there, beyond our understanding for everything. And that, yeah, yeah. Naomi saw a glimpse of that but her fullness lay beyond herself didn't it in the blessing to the world Mm. I read this amazing quote that just says God's hand is all over history God works out his purpose generation after generation limited as we are to one lifetime each of us sees so little of what happens therefore the process of history is not haphazard there is purpose in it all Mm. I thought that just sums up the sort of I know we'll we'll probably go back over the themes, but I just thought that that just summed up sort of the work of God's providence and, you know, in this book, you can just see it. I feel like once you've read Ruth once, you almost need to go back and reread it again and look for each little thing that you can see working. Sometimes I think this it's so rich, you can miss quite a lot of it. Especially as, you know, this is against the backdrop of Judges, which we know is a really dark time. And yet we can see in this story, can't we, that what what hope there is, what joy can be found in a re- in the backdrop of a really hard time. Like thinking in the period of time that we're living in today, you know, with Corona and all the all the other terrible things that are happening in the world, but God's really invested, isn't He, in small stories about small people doing seemingly small things, which actually are really significant and growing his kingdom and doing really amazing things that we just can't see. And there's real blessing, isn't there, that Ruth and Boaz found in sheltering under the shadow of God's wing. And there's there's a genuine blessing in really hard circumstances from really trusting in God, isn't there, and taking our refuge under the shadow of his wing. Mm. Yeah. So talking about those themes, I mean, we've we've mentioned a few of them, but they are kind of nicely rounded off in, in this section. But looking at the book as a whole, let's just chat a bit about the themes. How are they rounded off here? 
Um, and what, how do they affect us? Like, we don't just look at themes and theological things just to be like, oh, I know the themes of Ruth. Like, how do they affect us personally and other people that might be listening to this? I guess the first thing to think about is the one we talked about first, which is the fullness and emptiness one. Um, you know, at the beginning, well, in the first chapter, Naomi loses her husband, her sons. She has no economic worth. She has no food. Um, you know, she does have Ruth, but sort of uh, other than that, she's, she has relatively little. But by the end, she still has Ruth and she's been redeemed and she's economically okay and, 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 and she's got a grandchild I think I, I guess her faith's been restored as well, hasn't it? You know, yeah, it has. But I think what's great is that God has given her mo- almost, almost more than she expected. You know, she wanted a redeemer primarily so that they weren't sl- sold into slavery. But by the end, she's got social respectability, a grandchild, um, economically very well off now because Boaz is such an upright and wealthy, relatively wealthy man. He's the and boss of Bethlehem, right? Basically. Yeah, he's, he's one of the bosses of Bethlehem. And that is grace, isn't it? Giving you more than you expect or deserve. Um, that fullness has come to Naomi and then some. Because mm. the fullness, it's like a kind of Bible theme, isn't it? We... I think it reminds me of the spiritual emptiness that we have without Jesus. It reminded me of when he was on the cross and he he was like, I thirst. And in that, like he was empty. And so that we never have to have, like experience that emptiness that we, you know, are cr- this craving for God. Um, and I just love that, that picture in Ruth of Naomi being empty, becoming full. And we can have that fullness um, in Jesus. And he says that, doesn't he, in John, I think it's 10.10, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Not just that they Mm -hmm. exist and they do life the way they want to, but that they have a a full life, a life that can only be found through me. I have come so that they have a full life rather than just life. And I think the challenge living in a very Western affluent society is that we find that fullness too easily in other things it's so easy to fill ourselves up with all the good things that the world offers and then we don't we don't feel our need we don't feel our our, our spiritual emptiness because we're so personally it's so easy to top up my um yeah my heart with with not bad things but things that don't make me fully appreciate my need of Jesus for the for that spiritually nourishing fullness I do agree with that but I also think that it doesn't fill us up in the way that true fullness is like it's like a sub fullness oh I agree we we think we're filling our lives up so that we're full and we feel satisfied but actually we're still empty like we we just don't recognize it because we don't know what true fullness is like Yeah, I think that's why the book of Ruth ends like this with this genealogy. I think the book is saying Naomi is not full because her arms are full of baby. Naomi is full because she is part of God's people. She is part of this big picture of God's redemption of his people. That is where her fullness comes from. Um, And I think that I think that's really why um, we've got this list of names at the end. 
because it's important to see that our fullness doesn't come from the things that God gives us. Yes, he blesses us, but that's a picture of what's going on spiritually when he fills us. Um, What about some of the other themes in this book? So uh, with redemption, I guess we've talked a little bit last week about how Boaz sort of reflects a lot of stuff. Um, He's the redeemer figure, isn't he? So he's almost like a little foreshadowing of Jesus. There were just some things that I read that I just hadn't occurred to me as we were reading through. Just things like um, the kinsman redeemer, so Boaz effectively, had to be a member of Naomi's family. It couldn't be somebody outside of Naomi's family who did that. And if you're talking about foreshadowing of Jesus, that's why Jesus had to come down as a human and live life with us because only a family member, only one of us could fully redeem us. Um, mm, I, just, I love that. Yeah, yeah, same. I just found that amazing. You know, um, Boaz bought Ruth and Naomi out of slavery. That's what Jesus does. He buys us out of slavery to sin. Um, Jesus, uh, Boaz effectively bought the land back. Um, Jesus bought us back. Uh, he, Boaz was not motivated by self-interest. He was motivated by hesed. Jesus is not motivated by self-interest to do that. You know, he was motivated by love, by hesed. And then the last thing that I read was that, um, you know, Ruth was Boaz's bride and the church is described, isn't it, as as the bride. Is it Revelation? Yeah. I'm not sure where it's described. Yeah, in Revelation, the church is described as God's bride. And I just... I was just amazed reading through it, all this, all these little pictures of Jesus, all these little things about redemption, about how, and and also how many different ways we are redeemed. You know, it's not just, yeah, I was, yeah, I just found it amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. And I just think we, the, the you mentioned Hesed then there, which is like one of the other themes we've been thinking about, like the kindness Thing. I think it it has helped me to see more of of God's what God's kindness looks like, um, and the fact that that kindness is costly to Him. I think we see that here. Um, Jesus's kindness to us by dying on the cross was extremely costly. The price of becoming God's family was extremely costly to this brother of ours, Jesus. Um, I loved seeing that theme come out in this book, especially in this chapter. Um, I think the other thing I was really struck by by that Hesed kindness theme is often God's kindness is um, worked out in our lives through other people, isn't it? And, you know, Boaz was the means of that to Ruth and Naomi. And, you know, are we prepared to be the means of God's kindness in other people's lives? Because, you know, it's a a beautiful picture here, isn't it? Because we see the way that um, Boaz embodied that and was a blessing to Naomi and Ruth um and yeah that really struck me about are we prepared to do that and die to ourselves the way Boaz did to be um a means of God's blessing to in others lives practically speaking what does that kindness look like for you guys um is it being kind to people who it's hard to be kind to um is it looking outside of that what does it look like in your lives I've been struck this week and thinking about a slightly tricky situation where just keeping moving towards people 
rather than letting myself be offended. Um, yeah, I think, you know, that, that ties in with the sermon series we looked at a few months ago on 1 Corinthians <laughs> and that whole Jesus constantly moves towards us, doesn't he? He constantly takes the initiative and loves us despite our stamping of our feet or our bad behaviour. And that, that that doesn't come naturally to me. And so that's been a real, and the yeah, that sort of the kindness of moving towards people is the th- mm. is one of the things that has been worked out in my heart at the minute. Yeah, I I agree with that. I would also say um <clears throat> for me you know at work uh I'm an A&E doctor. I get a lot of very grumpy quite abusive <laughs> people each time I'm at work. You know, there's at least yeah, there's it's just people are at a difficult difficult point in their lives, aren't they? I think uh, for me, it's one, not only being kind when I am in their presence, but also making sure that I speak kindly about them once I'm home. What am I saying in my heart? What am I saying to my housemates? Thinking specifically about one patient last night. And I just thought as we were talking about this, I was really convicted. I was like, wow, the things I said about them this morning, would I want them to know? that I'd said that? Probably not. I've been mm. like in a little bit of a shame spiral if we sat here talking about kindness and redemption and yeah, I'm just, I'm, sh- I'm shocked at myself and yet I'm not surprised if you, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Cause isn't it great that we have a savior who was always kind and always loving and we can trust in his kindness towards us. Uh- And I think it's important, isn't it, when we think about this, that it's not just a case of us going, okay, I need to do better. You know, Mm. Boaz was able to do what he did and act in the way that he acted and say the things he said because he loved God's word. He had God's word hidden in his heart and it was expressed through hesed. It was expressed Mm. through that kindness. I think that's the challenge for me is just to dig into God's word. What what sin is there that caused me to speak in that way about that person? It was interesting at my, I was at a seminar on on Wednesday night um, for my counselling course. And the guy there was saying really helpfully, we all should have one person in our lives that we are moving towards that we find difficult because then it brings up those responses in our hearts that we need to root out and pray that God would deal with. And if we don't have people that we're walking with and walking towards like that, then we're just lulled into a false sense of security that we're kind of And actually God wants to be dealing with those things in us, but we've got to be prepared to put ourselves in more challenging relationships so that we can be changed and we can grow in Hesed. Super challenging, hey? I do you think I have been challenged as well because I feel like, Sometimes it's easier to be kind to the stranger or kind to the outsider because, you know, that feels good, doesn't it? When we, when we welcome somebody in and we're, you know, we kind of have a good feeling about that, but actually this kindness, it starts in our homes, doesn't it? It starts in the, in the relationships that we have with the people closest to us. How are we, I find that 
things like being just with my children or being kind to my children or being generous to my children sometimes is the hardest thing because they're the people that are there early in the morning or in the middle of the night or when I'm in a rush. Um, And I feel like for me challenged, how, how is this kindness working itself out with the people that I love, my husband and my children? Am I, what is it that triggers my, what's the opposite of kindness? non-kindness uh, what is it unkindness thank you Helen what is it that triggers my anti-kindness <laughs> mean thanks Helen um <laughs> what yeah what is it that triggers mean Mary and what is going on what is clashing in my heart that brings out um unkindness and when I think when we can learn to be kind to the people in our closest circle I think that helps us as we're kind to other people um I don't know but that really struck me this week great so just looking at the book as a whole how have you because this isn't just a story is it this is this is for our hearts how have you been caused to to love God more to grow more in your love of him to to worship him more because of what we've read in this story For me, I think uh, one of the things that struck me, especially when we were looking at the genealogy, is is God's providence. It caused me to trust God more with even the little things. You know, this story shows you that no matter how little you think you are, and and Ruth thought she was little, um, her life mattered. And not just because she was not just because she ended up being in David's line, but God's, our lives mean more than we think they do in some ways to God. You know, he is at work for us at all times and in ways we can never imagine. I think I've been really struck again by the character of Boaz and just what a beautiful picture he is of Jesus. And so, I, yeah, I've as I look at Boaz and think he was so confident that God's ways were good and right and the best. And just so was Jesus. That was Jesus's life, wasn't it? Everything Jesus did came out of that rock solid belief that his father's will was good and he could trust his father. And um, yeah, so I think it's really helped me in um, loving Jesus more because you see a picture of Bo- in Boaz you see a different picture don't you of Jesus and so I think it's really grown my love for Jesus as a man who was so confident in the goodness of God mm. yeah that's really wonderful so that's the book of Ruth guys really enjoyed chatting through it with you um I don't know what book we're doing next Esther people Esther that's exciting <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.